Hey everyone, welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. I hope you are all doing wonderfully. I hope you're happy, healthy, thriving, doing all the things that make you feel good. Today's episode is with Cassie Joy Garcia. She is the founder of a super popular food blog called Fed and Fit that she started in 2011. It's grown exponentially since uh, that time. And she has a new cookbook. It's called Cook Once Dinner Fix. And the reason I wanted to have her on, we actually kind of go way back because she was one of the first people that I interviewed for Paleo Magazine when I was writing for uh, that publication. And I was interviewing people in that space, paleo, ancestral health, um, that were kind of just doing cool things and, and offering great resources for people. And she and I obviously have both kind of evolved since then. And I don't think she really classifies herself as paleo. This book uh, encompasses all different types of, of food and ways of eating. Um, but one of the reasons I wanted to have her on is because she is such a positive and I think authentic voice in this world, um, in this industry. She's really trying to help people um, eat better in a way that makes them happy, in a way that is inexpensive and sustainable and fun and not too time consuming. All of these things are important for people who are busy and and people who have families Um, and, you know, just isn't super dogmatic. And that's something that I talk about a lot, right? Like for somebody who puts out a book about eating organ meats and who tells everybody to eat more animal protein all the time, I really don't try to be super dogmatic. I, I aim for the approach that we should all just be focused on figuring ourselves out, figuring out our own bodies, our own true goals and needs and things that make us happy. Um, and there are some tried and true kind of baseline health requirements that we're all going to sort of want to go after that are going to apply to everyone. But beyond that, there really is a lot of room for individuality. And so I think that telling people that they're dumb or wrong or stupid, if they do something that's a little bit different from yours, your, your way of doing it is just, it's just unhelpful. So I really like that Cassie just approaches this with a a friendly, welcoming voice. Um, And her book is super cool. It's the way it's laid out. It makes it really easy and quick and convenient to take food staples that are healthy and do a lot of different things with them so that you don't get bored. You don't have that sort of leftovers. What do I do with this? I'm going to throw them out kind of situation. Um, You don't have decision fatigue. You don't kind of dread making meals for your family. I think that's important. So we talk about that. She is pregnant with her third child. So of course I had to talk to her mom to mom about pregnancy, eating and cravings and how to feed your kids and all of that stuff as well. Um, but we, we cover all of that. So I think that anybody who is sort of looking to eat in a healthy way, enjoy it, and not have it be this kind of big, stressful thing in their life, this podcast is going to help you. So I hope you enjoy it. Definitely check her out on social media. Check out her book, Cook Once Dinner Fix. Um, And without further ado, here is my chat with the lovely Cassie Garcia. All right, Cassie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We have lots to talk about, but before I even launch in, Please tell me where you are right now. 
<laughs> what is <laughs> what is all this behind me? Yeah. Um, I'm sitting in my pantry at the office. Okay. okay. It's it's part pantry, part supply closet, part, you know, there's a there's a bench here with all of my pumping gear underneath. Of course. And the refrigerator for milk, you know, for that season. Of course. And part um, podcasting studio as well. Yeah, exactly. That's right. We've got this fun little table here. That's awesome. Uh, but more specifically or geographically in San Antonio, Texas. Here okay. we have a the Fed and Fit Kitchen Studio here. Very nice. Okay. So we're going to talk about Fed and Fit. We're going to talk about your new book, which I have right in front of me. Um, but first, I just wanted to, you know, formally congratulate you. You're pregnant with your third baby. Very exciting. How far along are you? Thank you. I am. I only know this because my app told me a few minutes okay. ago, but I'm, I'm 33 weeks. So, oh, well, so you're, into, the, you're... into the third trimester. Okay. All right. How, how are you feeling? I'm feeling 35. <laughs> I feel, I feel a little bit, I don't think 35 is by any stretch of the imagination old, but I feel older during mm. this pregnancy for sure. Yeah. Well, how old are your other two? Uh, I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. So they're okay. pretty young. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you being a woman in my thirties as well, who just had a baby a couple months ago, I felt my age as well. Um, and I think there's something to be said for, you know, obviously taking care of yourself and being as healthy as you can be before, during, after pregnancy. Um, mm -hmm. but that last month is like just really real. Like no matter, I don't yeah. care, honestly, how easy your pregnancy has been or anything like that last month is an exercise in endurance that I have like never experienced before. It was really intense. So I I'm thinking about you as you go into these last few weeks. Thank you so much. An exercise in endurance is such a great way to put it. That's exactly how it feels. And I think that it really, it shapes, I I've marathon trained in the past before, and I really think it really, it taps into the same part of my brain yep. is like, we are going to get through this kind yep. of thing. Well, I mean, that's kind of how I felt about like the pregnancy, but also birth where if you do have some of this background, like I've run a couple marathons too, certainly not my forte, but I mean, yeah. just having kind of like an athletic background, I think knowing that pain and discomfort doesn't necessarily mean like you're dying or it's something to be afraid of necessarily, I think is a yes. really valuable lesson. And I think it's something that women are primed for because of our physiology. Um, but it, I think it is really valuable because I, I've told people too, like in my story that is very still fresh in my, my head, I remember going through this process. That was the most intense thing I've ever experienced, but I was never really afraid at any point. Mm -hmm. Like there were certainly times where I was like, am I, is this going to keep happening? Like, do I have to keep doing this until the baby mm -hmm. comes? But I wasn't like scared of the feelings that I was feeling. So, um, yes. yeah, I think that's really, that's really important. Um, okay. Questions. And I promise I won't talk to you about pregnancy stuff the entire time, but oh, I got to ask it you because it's, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's very yeah. interesting to me. Um, <laughs> how, how are your, how's your eating slash cravings now? Were they different from the other pregnancies? Like, how are you eating? What do you feel like eating? You know, to be totally honest, I am like literally in full transparency, just ate a chocolate chip cookie out of the oven nice. before nice. I walked in. <laughs> this has been different. Part of it is because I have what I'm feeding myself now is a lot of, oh my gosh, I need to eat kind of moments. 
it's just life is just different and much yeah. more fast paced. And there's a lot more going on with two other small kiddos at home. And so I find myself eating a lot of the foods that, you know, making myself a little plate of what they're having. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with my first two, I think I was able to be a little bit more cognizant of um, planning my meals and really wanting them to be nutrient dense, making up for the fact that I was pretty sick in my first trimester. Um, and so I just sustained myself off of graham crackers. Uh, gluten-free graham crackers for those first two trimesters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been a lot. I don't know. I, I feel like this pregnancy and also because of the way work has been, um, which there has been a lot of really big moving parts and pieces. Um, it's been almost like the, to be totally honest with you, this pregnancy has more so been like, Oh my goodness, I need to eat. Yeah. Like, you know, almost forgetting. Um, whereas with the other ones, I definitely had my well-packaged plans. Yeah. I can understand that because, you know, I used to be one of those people who's like, I don't believe people who say they forget to eat. I'm like, (laughs) I've never once in my life forgotten to eat, but now that I have a baby, I can see how it just doesn't happen. And you've got two young ones. So I totally can see how that would be a thing. Um, how, how do you feel about, and this is again, just me, like, shamelessly asking you for my own, um, interest. How do you feel about with your babies, um, baby led weaning? Cause you mentioned kind of eating similar to what you're feeding your kids. And I do feel like there is this weird thing in our culture. A lot of times where we think kid food has to be different than adult food. So we make our meals and then we mm-hmm. feed our kids something that we think they'll eat. And it often ends up being like an array of beige, you know what I mean? So, and again, I'm not even there yet with the toddler thing yet. So I'm not judging people. I'm just saying it, it seems interesting that we're like doing double duty, oftentimes making special things for our kids. Um, but how do you navigate that? And do you, did you do the baby led weaning? Cause I know a lot of people are scared of that. I did. I did. I did do baby led weaning. And I still did some purees. I kind of fell back on the, I'm going to do what works and I'm going to try to lean in the baby led weaning. Um, and if that works, we'll keep following it. And, and also just kind of moving intuitively through our food prep. Um, so now with our girls, my youngest being one and a half, the way that I feed them is I do, I take the same meal that I'm feeding my husband and myself, but the way that I present it to them is different. And I think that that has the biggest, that's the biggest thing, right? Is, you know, let's take a, so out of, out of Cookwin's dinner fix, there's this recipe for a Southwestern Turkey casserole that my family really loves, but the way that I played it for my husband and the way that I played it for my daughters is very different mm. because the Southwestern Turkey casserole has these sauteed peppers and onions, and there's some beans and corn and cheese, and then the turkey and this really yummy sauce. And obviously you assemble all of that, turn it into a casserole and you serve yourself a slice of it. Well, my daughters would look at a slice, a hunk of casserole and be like, what is this mystery block? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like there's too many questions. They want to see the elements, right? Yes. Yeah. And so what I do for them is when I'm sauteing the onions and the peppers and I already have the beans out, I just put that on their plate in those little compartments and I put all the same foods on their plate. And then they sit down and they have this buffet of these super fun foods and they can clearly distinguish what's what. And then after they kind of, and I always plate them with some sort of a really fun, fresh fruit or a sure win. And so it's like, if I know that I'm about to serve up something that I can't even think of an example right now, but something that might push the limits, you know, like, I, I don't know if they're going to like this. Mm-hmm. I will put something on their plate that I know that they will like. So 
but it has to be easy, like a few pieces of shredded cheese, right? Something just to prime the pump mm-hmm. so that they start engaging with their food and start eating and then they wind up eating the rest of it. And then in the example of the casserole, usually they eat their components. And then once they're excited and I say, mommy and daddy are having the same thing. It's just all put together. Then they want a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And so I found that by kind of just building their trust that way with the foods on the plate, um, it can really pay off. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's helpful for me. Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm anticipating like, again, starting by giving him some foods that are like pureed or mushed up versions of what I'm already eating. And I, I understand too, that people talk about how it can sometimes take like up to a dozen tries before a baby will accept something or like something. So there's like a lot of like patience and time that maybe some people just don't have. Um, but I, I still feel like there's some element of like the adult psychology can work for the babies too, in that if the other like hyper palatable, tasty option isn't there, Mm -hmm. you're not going to eat it because it's not there. That's why I don't have fresh baked cookies next to me right now, because I'd be eating them all. No, again, no judgment. I've eaten plenty. I've eaten plenty, but I'm just saying like, you know, if you were trying to eat a certain way, having other hyper palatable foods around is going to make that so much harder for you. That's just the way our brains work. Right. Um, but I mean, look, we'll see what happens in, you know, in a year from now when I'm through the the beginning of it and I'm like, I was so naive back then, but we'll see. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, so were there any, um, during all of your pregnancies, were there any like myths or lies or things that you read about in terms of what you should or should not be eating that you've maybe like learned from, or that you think are kind of doing a disservice? Cause I have some strong opinions about this, but I'm interested to hear what you think. I do. Well, I mean, I, I, every time I talk about this, I want to come out with the, I'm not a healthcare provider claim. Um, and you should always consult with your healthcare practitioner, whomever they are, um, to answer your specific questions. But I have, gosh, I think it was when I was pregnant with my second, I started posting more breakfast photos and it was like the runny yolks and I had goat Mm -hmm. cheese on it. So a soft cheese. And I remember a friend of mine, Stacy, sent me a note and she was like, Oh, second baby alert. And I was like, no, actually I ate this way the whole time with my when I was pregnant with my first, but I was afraid of the ridicule because I didn't have the healthy baby, healthy mama to, to show for myself. Right. Um, and so there was a huge part of being pregnant with my first that I kept thinking, gosh, I can't, I'm just really looking forward to subsequent pregnancies when I don't get second questioned as much. Mm. Um, and so things like that, you know, I just, I tend to gravitate towards if I wouldn't feel comfortable eating it when I'm not pregnant, then that falls into the no, no category when I am pregnant, you know? So if it's a questionable egg, I wouldn't eat it whether or not I have a, a, a tiny baby in my belly. Um, and so I do, I do eat runny yolks. I do eat um, some soft cheeses and it depends. I, I fall into the personal belief in camp of if I really trust the sourcing and it's fresh, um, then I'm comfortable with it. And so things like that are uh, come to mind first. Um, and then Gosh, I think those are the big, those are the, probably two of the biggest ones that I got the most questions about were runny yolks and soft cheeses. Yeah. I appreciate you saying, you know, the process of how you decide what you're comfortable eating or not, because for me, one of the things that I did was 
question or at least research why those particular no-no foods are considered that way. And right. in many cases, like you're talking about like soft cheese or unpasteurized cheese or runny, runny mm-hmm. eggs, a lot of it is based on kind of some outdated, either outdated information or information that's strictly about low quality food, like you said. And like, for example, sushi, right? If we look at culturally, there are millions of women in the world who that is a staple food for them. They're not not eating it when they're pregnant. It's about the quality of the food. And maybe 30 years ago when sushi was a novelty in North America, or maybe if you were eating five-day-old gas station sushi or something, maybe you should be cautious. But if you're eating high-quality fish, that's yeah. good for you. Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, it's funny you mentioned too about the, like, first-time mom. Like, I kind of, you almost feel like you need to have something, like, you've got something to prove first or something. But, you know, with me, um, you know, I wrote a book on organ meats. And so I'm used to people telling me that what I eat is nuts all the time. And, but I got a lot of questions from people who are like, so you're going to stop eating liver, right? Because you're pregnant and the vitamin A, the vitamin A thing. And again, caveat, like you said, not a doctor, this is not medical advice. However, if you're asking my opinion, which no one is, but here you go, give it to you anyway. I think it's just, it's one of those like funny things where people don't question the the junk food that they get at the corner store. But when a health food comes into play, it's like everyone needs to like nitpick the science here. It's very difficult generally for people to overdose on vitamin A from liver. You'd yes. have to eat so much liver every day for so long for this to become a problem where so many women, especially pregnant women who are going burning through nutrients, right? Mm-hmm. We would benefit from having a little bit more of that in our diet, but we're just so quick. And, and I understand, you know, it's, we're fearful, right? Because we want to do the best for our babies. But, um, I was eating like every single thing on the list that they tell you not to eat that I believe is healthy. We're talking sushi, liver, eggs, cheese, all of those things that I enjoy. I ate all of them after doing the research that I felt, you know, I was comfortable with. Um, and you know, I, I haven't looked back because I'm similar to you. I'm like, I'm going to eat all this stuff anyway. Cause I think it's healthy. I think it's going to be healthy for him. And it, you know, that's kind of how I feel, but it is interesting how it's like the sort of one time in your life when food becomes like a real kind of scary point, you know? Um, it does. Yeah. Yes. That's so interesting. I got a lot of, I got some unsolicited feedback about my morning, uh, grass-fed liverwurst. We, we serve it too. That's actually a great talk about baby lid weaning. That was one of our girls. First foods yeah. was liverwurst. Um, and they still to this day, these poor children, uh, <laughs> They still to this day call it breakfast meat. They don't breakfast know. <laughs> like they don't know about bacon yet or what? Yeah. No, they, they know bacon and sausage and things, but they greatly prefer this liverwurst. Amazing. Um, and, oh, that's so interesting. So she's a good one. And because I'm, so I'm in San Antonio, Texas, and I will tell you, there's one restaurant in town where I would feel comfortable going right now and eating with like zero, like I would absolutely eat the raw, the raw sushi. We're going to, mm. I'm going to go with my husband tomorrow. We have mm-hmm. a date night, but like, you know, and it's just, again, being mindful of those things. If these are things that I would question when I'm not pregnant, then I'm, of course, I'm going to press pause while I am, but it is, it's an interesting time. Yeah. And you really do think about the things that you're feeling yourself with. 
Yeah. I love that your kids love their breakfast meat. That is going to be one of the first things that I'm working with too. I'm also feeling like maybe a little bone marrow mixed in with like, you know, sweet potato or whatever you're going to feed them because bone marrow makes everything taste better. So I feel like that's sort of a win, but we'll, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, okay. So maybe I'll come around to more baby questions, but let's talk about fed and fit because that it seems like this, you know, your movement has like grown a lot in the last few years, certainly since I last touched base with you. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what Fed and Fit is? Sure. So Fed and Fit, I just celebrated 10 years. Can you believe that? Uh, this Ten past years. summer. Crazy. <laughs> Between that and being pregnant at 35, uh, I'm feeling it. <laughs> um, uh, so Fed and Fit, it started off as a personal food blog, but it's blossomed into what we're really calling an wellness editorial. And it just means that now I get to work with a team of writers. There are five of us here full-time that work for Fed and Fit now. And a great majority of our content are recipes. We have over a thousand free recipes there, but also trying to problem solve in, in, the, in the ways that, you know, we get we all get to a point where we realize wellness isn't just on a plate. Um, and it's not just the foods that we're eating or even just how we're moving our body, but there's so much more that comes to play. And so we think of ourselves as kind of wellness problem solvers and taking some information and digesting it and putting out the best out there. So folks can read it and hopefully feel empowered and informed to make their own decisions. That's awesome. Okay. So related to that, some real talk business questions here, because now that I can count myself, one of the, um, crazy people who has written a cookbook and actually I have another, I have another one coming out soon too in the new year. Um, and how much work that is. And you have this amazing resource with free recipes. What makes people, do you think, continue to buy cookbooks when there's so much, even from the same person, like you could say, Mm -hmm. Oh, well, they want to buy them from Cassie because they like her and they trust her. But when you've got a ton of free content out there, like what makes people still buy cookbooks? Do you think, you know, I think that there, I think it's interesting to think about, I think there's two kinds of folks and there's some overlap in terms of the Venn diagram, right? Like there's some folks who prefer, they really prefer digital Mm -hmm. and they really prefer wanting to Google a recipe 100% of the time. And they don't like cookbooks. They don't, they don't like cluttering their shelves or having the things in their homes. And then you have on the other side of the Venn diagram, the other circle is full of people who are like, okay, I don't want what you Googled how to brine a Turkey. I, I flip to my books and I, and I open up those books and I lean on them and there's comfort in having something physically you're able to flip through and turn, turn through. And there's of course some overlap there in the middle, but I think that the thing that when I write a book as someone who's creating content almost simultaneously in my business for digital and for print, I think of a book as a complete work. And, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you do too, but it's, it's like this, I want to make sure that when someone gets their hands on this, it's going to be a really useful tool to them Mm -hmm. and something that they can really sink their teeth into and really use and really get dirty and, and have it sit to the top of the bookshelf. Um, and, I think that that's just a totally different user experience than a website, a website, you know, we study the stats and folks land on the website and they stick around for 1.4 pages, you mm-hmm. know, and it's so they, they might click around and read half of another article, 
and then they're off. Yeah. Uh, whereas a book, it's just a much more intimate experience. And there's also, there's, I actually believe Ashley that after all that we've gotten through collectively as a community in the world in the last year and being so distant from one another for so long, I think folks are actually really craving something more tangible mm-hmm. um, these days. I know that I am. And so it's nice, yes, to interact with a brand in a digital format, but I think that folks are really, there's a, there's a different kind of appreciation for having something you can hold in your hands these days that really brings a brand to life. All right. I'm interrupting the podcast, but it's for a good reason. I'm talking about snacks, guys. Okay. Very important topic. A uh, topic that is near and dear to my heart because no matter how strict or healthy or crazy I get with my diet, I like to eat and I like snacks and I like treats that are healthy, that make me feel good, that don't make me feel like crap, but also I know are giving me nutrition and don't taste like I'm settling for something healthy. So all that to say, I'm very excited that we have yet another new partner for the show. This is a company that I've actually been a fan of for a really long time, um, but just recently connected with and learned a bit more about how they do things. Um, how high quality and next level their products actually are. Um, I was always impressed with them, but even more so now that I've had time to chat with the founder, Autumn Smith, co-founder of Paleo Valley. Um, They make a number of supplements, which I can talk about at a later date. You can go check everything out at paleovalley.com. But I'm talking today about their superfood bars and their 100% grass-fed fermented beef sticks. They're so delicious. They come in a bunch of flavors. Um, I've been eating the beef sticks and their chocolate, I think double chocolate superfood bars, um, dark chocolate chip, that's right, uh, every day um, because they sent them to me and I'm thinking, okay, these are grass-fed bone broth protein. They've got a ton of superfoods, including things like greens and broccoli and like greens powders, kale, stuff like that, which normally I'd be like, yeah, that's not really for me. I just give me the protein and the meat and the chocolate. Um, but these bars are really good. They taste like food. They don't taste like a lot of the um, sort of healthy or low carb or keto bars out there that are just full of like lab created sugars and chemicals. Um, they've got a ton of health benefits, blueberries, turmeric, ginger, Himalayan uh, salt, pumpkin seeds, and then of course chocolate. Um, So they've got protein, they're pretty low carb, decent amount of fat, they're just delicious. Um, Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, all of that, low in sugar. Um, So they're delicious. And if you are somebody like me who wants to eat chocolate from time to time, who likes a protein bar when they, you know, go out for the day and want to have a snack, this is absolutely the kind of product that I think would be great for you. Um, So check them out. Go to paleovalley.com. I have a discount code. It's MMR. So that's Muscle Maven Radio, MMR for 15% off. Um, They're just awesome treats to have around, snacks to have on the go. If you're an outdoorsy person, if you, you know, don't want to wait to get home and make your own food or go to the gas station and get whatever nightmare they have there. This is the kind of smart snacking that you want to do. So I'm super impressed with this company. I will continue to tell you more about them and what they offer um, as we move forward, but just kind of wanted to put this note um, out there. If you're a snacker like me, this is kind of one of the best ways you can 
you can do it. So go check out Paleo Valley. I appreciate that they are partnering with me and supporting the show. Paleovalley.com, code MMR, get on it. Dark chocolate chip superfood bar. So good. All right. Now back to the show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better. Um, (laughs) And I suppose I agree with it too, because, you know, as someone who's always been, I haven't always been really a cook or particularly interested in it growing up. This is relatively new for me, but as a reader, I've always Mm. wanted the physical book. Like I can't read on like a digital reader. I don't, I'm not particularly interested in like, you know, I'd rather read a real physical book in my hand. And when I Mm -hmm. love the author, I love the story. I will keep that book forever and read it again and look through it. And I like having it on my shelf. It makes me feel good. So I suppose it's the same thing for food too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Your new book, Cook Once, Dinner Fix. Very exciting. Congratulations. Um, Tell us about it. Cook Once, Dinner Fix is, I want to, you know, it's a play on words. So it's the the dinner fix is in we're fixing dinner, but I also kind of thought of it in the way I approached it as fixing the dinner problem. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that, and what I found is that this was a struggle in my own life. And, and it was also one that my readers really shared, fed and fair readers really identify with the same problem. It was one of those moments where it was like, you too, are we, is dinner difficult for everyone? Mm-hmm. Why is getting a dang dinner on the table at the end of the day, such a challenge. And I've thought a lot about it. You know, there's, there's no shortage of recipes. It's not a recipe situation. It's not a recipe problem. There's no shortage of, for the most part, um, for at least folks in, you know, a lot of the countries that are make up the most of my readers, no shortage of ingredients. Mm -hmm. We have the ability to get it together, but we find ourselves short on is time, Uh, our budget is restricted and also our energy levels. Like we're just tired. Um, and you know, we're both mothers, you get to the end of the day and I've, I felt decision fatigue before I was a mom, but it's, it's like a totally different ball game now Mm -hmm. where you get to the end of the day. And it's like my, if I don't already have dinner thought through and my husband says, what do you want to do for dinner? And I'll be like, I cannot possibly make that decision. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Let's eat crackers. Mm -hmm. Like that's all I, (laughs) you know, like you just get to the point and it, and there's this extra feeling of wanting, but I have a desire to put a dinner, a meal on the table for my family as the cook, primary cook for our home. Yeah. And so the dinner, I think the dinner time, I think we were in a lot of study and reflection and personal reflection. I was like, I think we're overcomplicating it. I think Mm -hmm. we're overcomplicating dinner. I think we're overcommitting. Yeah. And, and I think that we're being unrealistic with a sustainable model for ourselves, because if I think just about myself, I'm a working mother with small children who does want a life, you know, with my husband and my friends. And also I'm going to be whipping up a fresh meal every single night that takes at least an hour to prep. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. So we had to fix it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I totally understand the decision fatigue thing. And I think one of the ways that I've managed to like, not even really hack that, but just kind of survive it is that because I have a background in like, you know, bodybuilding and stuff like that. I also have a background in very functional food. And I have this sort Mm -hmm. of approach that like food doesn't have to be fancy and rather it can go to the other extreme where it's just like almost 
a little too boring, like a little too functional. Um, but I do think that one of the downsides to this amazing network of like social media information and community that we have is that similar to us looking at like fitness people and thinking we all need to look like that and work out like that. We look at these food food bloggers or chefs and they're so aspirational and we think that our food should look like that and should take that much time and should be that colorful and should look like a magazine spread. And I know like I have a lot of um, friends, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but like people who, if they can't dedicate themselves to having a meal that is that exciting and beautiful, they're just Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to order out. Like I can't, I can't be bothered because it's like the idea of having just you know, like a very simple casserole or like, here's some meat and like, throw it on a vegetable. You're just like, ugh, that it seems, I don't know, like a letdown to them or something. Um, And I don't really know how we change that because I understand that people want their food to be beautiful and they want it to be special, um, Mm -hmm. but it just can't always be that way. Right. So, I I mean, I guess maybe that's part of the, the challenges of your book is like showing that you can have maybe a happy road in the middle somewhere. Yes, that's exactly it. That's so well articulated. It's the happy road in the middle between, you know, meat on a vegetable, like you just said, and there's, that's dinner, you know, and that's another, that's another goal I have is to encourage people. Like, even if what you made doesn't look like what it is on the plate, it's still dinner. Yeah. And it's still something to pat yourself on the back for. Yeah. Um, And the idea and the hope is that you're able to pull off this meal that you're proud of you know, you're, you're proud to put that on your table, regardless of where that meter falls for you. But also it did not actually take all this time, all this energy, and it didn't totally consume your grocery budget because there's, that's another pitfall of some of these fancier meals at night after night of trying to keep things varied and different and not wanting to serve our family leftovers. A lot of people who go through that and we wind up, pulling all these recipes together, scrolling around on Google, right? We build our shopping list and we spend a small fortune Mm -hmm. in groceries. And then also the part that we don't see is that at the end of the week, we didn't use all that stuff. Yeah. And we have a lot of food that goes to waste. And so I think that just by being a little bit more strategic or maybe a lot more strategic, depending on where you're starting from, Mm -hmm. it can really save you a heck of a lot of time, money, and energy. Yeah. So don't give away all the book, obviously, but what are some tips that you can give folks about like just overarching tips on how to maybe grocery shop or prep, um, in a way that is inexpensive because that is another kind of prevailing myth. And I understand that this is a more complex kind of topic. The idea of like healthy food being expensive because that's not necessarily true, but in some ways I can see where people get to that, um, conclusion. So what are some kind of like high level tips you have for people who, who want to have healthy meals and need to do it cheaply? Um, the, I mean, the top tips that come to my mind are to, and y'all are listening, you, the listener, I'm speaking to you is you're probably thinking, oh gosh, I've heard this a dozen times, but it's, but I'm gonna say it again, because it's so true is I want you to shop in season. Mm. I think that when we shop seasonally and we shop locally, you're actually going to get the most bang for your buck. Um, and it's really comes down to economics, right? If there's an abundance of something, then, and if it's local and it didn't have to travel very far to get to you, Mm -hmm. then there's a really good chance you're going to be paying less for it. So fruit is such the easiest correlation for me to bring up because it's really obvious in my grocery store when peaches are in season and Mm. when they're not in season, right? 
in-season peaches are going to have a, they're going to taste better. They're going to look better. Their flesh is going to be more beautiful and vibrant. Um, they did not have to travel very far. So their carbon footprint is less. And so therefore the price is going to be a little bit less. And there's an abundance of them because if you've ever grown anything, you know, they're all like, you know, like we've got okra for days. Yes. For this <laughs> period know? of time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, um, you could really get to take advantage of it. So I would say, take advantage of what's in season, shop the center aisle, shop what's on sale, shop what says local. Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally if you can organic, um, and then when it comes to proteins, similar concept. Um, but I think buying in bulk is always going to, if you're able to really forecast your budget that, that far in advance, I think it can go a long way to buy, to do what you can to buy in bulk. And so there's, I don't know if you're probably familiar, but eatwild.org is a great way that you can find ranchers, do cow shares, things like that. Or if you're in the grocery store, just go see what's on sale. Right. And so every once in a while, for example, my local grocery store, I'll walk through and grass fed ground beef will be on sale. I'm loving hot dang. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and get fill up so, the cart. Yeah. Fill up the cart. Yeah. And I have freezer space. And so I get to take advantage of that. And I know that's not the case for everybody, but the way that I would want you to move through dinner fix, cook with dinner fix, for example, though, is that there's several dinner series. Dinner series are broken up into two meals, right? So we take two full dinners and weave them together to use some similar components hmm. that save you time and money. And what I would want you to do is say, Oh, my favorite ground beef is on sale. I'm going to buy three pounds of it. Okay. Let's say if you're just looking to feed the, the four people, right? Four mm-hmm. servings, you're going to buy three pounds of it, flip to those dinner series and choose the dinner series you want that use ground beef, right? And then you're able to just let the sales inform your week. And so sometimes it's fun to go grocery shopping before you meal plan. And sometimes you want to do the reverse, but I think that shopping the sales is the best way. That's a cool way to lay out uh, a cookbook because it, it kind of leads into my next question, which you sort of answered, but maybe you have some other um, tips. But it's funny you mentioned like that. I think sometimes moms, especially, but people have either guilt or they just don't like um, giving their family leftovers, which yeah. to me personally, again, I'm just like, maybe it's just because I will eat anything, but I'm just like, hey, I'll eat whatever until it's gone. Cause I just, I need to fill my belly. I'm hungry. So I, I don't have a problem with leftovers, but I mean, certainly you can get bored sometimes. Um, but I understand yeah. that it's like a bigger issue for some people. Like they really don't like the idea of like just the same meal a couple times in a row or whatever. So you seem to have kind of solved this problem a little bit, the way that you've laid out the book, but are there other like tricks for how to like take, you know, if you've made some ground beef, if you've made these vegetables and you just are, Mm -hmm. you're looking at them and you're like, I got to eat these, but Oh my God, I don't want to do this again. Like what are some ways to make it interesting? Yes. And so that's, that's really, that's the, the core of the book is, and there's actually some folks, Ashley, to your point who are like, gosh, I have all this leftover cooked ground beef. What do I do with it? And mm-hmm. they're using Cook One's Dinner Fix to figure out what to do with it because the recipes are essentially made with pre-prepared proteins. Um, and so what I, oh gosh, I, I got so distracted listing my point. What was your question again? <laughs> I want to make sure I answer it exactly. Just some like some tips maybe, or like yes. quick teasers for, yeah, how to make it interesting the next day. 
Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. So I would say the two tips that come to mind on making it interesting for the next day are store your proteins and cook them and then store them in their most basic form. And so if it is crumbled ground beef, before you add all the Mexican seasonings you need for your burrito bowl tonight, pull out half that you know you won't eat tonight and store it just plain by itself. Okay, so that's step one. Uh, shredded pork is another great example, right? A pork shoulder, especially if you're cooking for two, three people, or just one person, one to three people, it's a lot of meat, mm-hmm. right? And you're probably like, gosh, we're going to be eating carnitas for seven days or yeah. however long. And so I say, that's a, what a gift. Um, so cook the meat, cook the meat, shred it, and then store it in its most basic form. And when you're ready to mix it up the next day, um, apply a different kind of heating technique. Okay. So heat it differently and apply a different kind of sauce or spice. And that's going to be able to give you a totally different meal. And so in the case of like that, instead of a burrito bowl, the ground beef, right. Mexican seasoning for that first night, you started over the burrito bowl. The second night, um, take that ground beef in a skillet, go ahead and saute some, the vegetables that are in your veggies drawer that need to be used up. And then add the ground beef and then add your favorite sauces for a teriyaki style stir fry, you know, and so you get a totally different meal experience. You're heating it up on the skillet with a saucy sauce. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's not a dry ground beef. Now it's a saucy ground beef. And so you're able to totally really differentiate in terms of flavor and meal experience in terms of um, the pork, one of my favorite dinner series out of the pork chapter. So it's five chapters. It's broken up by protein again, hopefully to help guide you through how to move through your week. If you're like, I want to serve my family chicken and I want to serve them seafood this week. Like you can kind of flip to those Mm -hmm. chapters. Um, so one of my favorites in the pork, the, which uses a shredded pork shoulder. So we shred a bunch of pork and then night one we're doing, or meal one, we're doing carnitas, which I serve with a Mexican style street corn, um, Mm -hmm. really simple and straightforward, but really delicious. And the rest of the pork is then transformed into what these sticky honey garlic pork bowls. And they're so fantastic and so delicious, but we re-crisp that shredded pork in a skillet, add this really yummy, sticky Asian inspired sauce and serve it over fluffy white rice. And again, it's just a world apart in terms of flavor and meal experience. I love the tip of using a different like heating method. That's Mm -hmm. such a, like, that just really sticks in my head because of course it's like, you know, maybe use different spices or different sauces or whatever, but a different heating method is really, really a cool idea. Because again, I'm thinking of like my air fryer that's in the corner that I like completely forget to use sometimes. And like, yeah, just how completely different it's going to feel. And even when you're prepping it in a different way, it makes you feel like you're doing something different, which is going to make it more exciting and less boring. So yeah, yeah, I love that so much. Um, Are you going back to pregnancy? Are you doing, are you going to do a bunch of like meal prep yourself before you have the baby. Cause like, this was something that, again, people told me like, do, do a bunch of like pre-birth, like baking and stuff like whatever. I I'm, I'm not, I don't usually do a lot of baking. Cause I just live with my husband and now our baby and yeah. I'll end up eating all of it. Um, but I yeah. did a bunch, like I did a ton of like paleo, <laughs> like healthier baked goods that I ended up just like crushing in like the first month and actually really came in handy. Um, but are you doing that? Are you like getting your head around like prepping a bunch of like meals and things like that for when you're going to be insanely busy, uh, soon. I am. Yes, I am. And so I have a, I actually just reorganized, uh, we have us the luxury of a stand-up freezer in our garage. 
Um, and so just reorganized it to make space, but I do, I have a section for, um, do you want to know how granular I get with this? Because it's really, I really get into it. Um, so I have three kinds of meals, dinners, three kinds of dinners. And then I also do snacks and breakfasts. Um, and so my three kinds of dinners is I like to have somewhere between five and eight casseroles. And so, and they're not necessarily meant to be, it's enough to be dinner and lunch the next day, right? Not enough to like feed us for a really, really long time. And I, I pre, so what I do is I'll make that Southwestern Turkey casserole, for example, from Cookland Center Fix. And I will have the, the serving for my family, but I'll double the ingredients and freeze one because while the dishes are already dirty and I'm already making it, might as well just make an extra one. Mm -hmm. And so I'll make anywhere between that amount of casseroles. I have a stack of those. I have a stack of what I call instant pot meals. And so those are like, um, gosh, I have this uh, beef and broccoli and a uh, bourbon chicken Mm -hmm. and all of these dishes that I just put the raw ingredients into the bag, into a bag, a freezer bag. And I write on there, you know, put in the instant pot. I write the instructions in case my husband's the one doing it, for example, um, and then serve over white rice, something that I can just make myself really fresh. And I have a, so I have about a stack of 10 of those. And then I have a stack of 10 crock pot soups or other crock pot style dishes. So like a chicken tikka masala, for example, not necessarily a soup, but something stew like, and um, make that stack of meals. And then I also, I'm a big believer in bone broth after birth. I think that there's a lot to be said, uh, the benefits there. And so I like to have at least, um, a couple cups of that a day for the first, at least the first two weeks bare minimum. And then a bunch of baked goods, like, oh gosh, I've got pumpkin bread, individual slices in there, all kinds of things like that, you know, cause there's nothing quite like the hunger of a nursing mother, Um, and I want to make sure I've got what I need. Okay. You are really on the ball. I got as far as baked goods and then I stopped, but it's great. It's fine. I was still well-fed. It's fine. But, uh, that's about as far as I got. It is crazy. And like, again, I, I come from being a hungry woman to begin with. Like I didn't have like a small appetite before, but it's just kind of like you almost are never never full. Like you just could kind of always keep, and it's kind of an amazing time. Like I'm, I'm not in any way like guilty or worried about it. Like I'm still trying to eat as healthy as possible. I'm just eating a lot more and a lot more carbs and like, not so worried about everything, but, um, it's like an amazing time. You can just keep eating and it's just, your body is just running through that because you're working so hard. It's like, it's magical really. I think it is. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I really appreciate catching up with you and learning about everything that you're doing. And I think that you are an amazing kind of, well, of course, source of information for us, but inspiration for a lot of families and moms and um, people who find themselves busy and trying to juggle all of the things that they have to do with all of the things that they want to do. Um, And so I really appreciate you writing this book. I appreciate Fed and Fit for putting out so much free information. Um, So thank you for doing what you do. It's, It's important. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Yeah. I really appreciate it. So for folks who don't, haven't heard of you somehow, um, that are listening, but want to learn more, um, where remind them where they can go and where they can check you out and, and try out some recipes and stuff. Yeah. So fed and is where 
those thousand plus recipes can be found. Um, we have a free weekly newsletter that goes out that has a meal plan to kind of, again, help reduce the burden of the decisions of pulling all of these things together week after week. And we provide with that newsletter, for example, a cook once tip of the week that we like to try to give you. So that's like how to roast a chicken and then weave it between a couple different meals, for example, how to make things easier on you. And then on Instagram is probably where I'm the most active, but my, my username there is fed and fit. And I've been doing a lot of demonstrating this dinner series concept. So if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around how this works, that might be a great place to check out. Yeah. Very and then cool. Cook one's dinner fix. It's available everywhere. Books are sold, you know, the, awesome. the Barnes and Noble targets got it. Uh, you name it all the places online and small shops as well. Awesome. Are you going to take any reasonable amount of time off after the baby comes? Yeah. So this will be, gosh, my third time. I usually plan for a three month maternity leave. Um, and then which is really short, by the way, you have a three month old now. Yeah. yeah. Like the idea of going back to work. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I have kind of, you know, like I work from home and stuff like that, but like the idea of like having to go back to an office full time right now would just put me into a cold sweat. So it's not totally get that. It is. It is a short period of time. Um, I usually get a little twitchy after about six weeks. Um, and that's why I start answering way more emails, but, but three months is usually the intention. Okay. All right. Well, congratulations. Best of luck. I can't wait to see how everything goes over the next few months. And I'm going to send you a copy um, of my book too, so that you can try some of my breakfast meat, breakfast meat recipes. I've got a bunch of bone broth recipes in there too. So we'll see if we can find some more organ meat recipes that your kids will love. I love it. I, I would love that. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Cassie. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Ashley. All right, folks, thank you so much for being here. As always, I appreciate you. Thank you again to Cassie for lending her time. And thank you to my show sponsor, Paleo Valley. They make my favorite healthy snacks that I am crushing daily because I'm still snacking a lot. I'm hungry. I'm breastfeeding. You know how it goes. Burn a lot of calories. They make 100% grass-fed fermented beef sticks. They have these superfood bars and a bunch of different flavors that are amazing. They're so good, made with bone broth protein and a bunch of, yes, plant-based superfoods that, let's be honest, I probably wouldn't be getting otherwise because I tend to be more carnivore-ish these days. Uh, So if you want to learn more about their company and their high-quality products and how they do what they do, I actually did interview the co-founder, Autumn Smith, in a previous episode. So you can Google that one. She talks about ingredients and things like that. Or you could just go to paleovalley.com, learn more about what they do, and you can use the code MMR to save 15% on anything you buy. As always, I welcome your feedback. Send me a message. Check me out on Instagram, at The Muscle Maven. Head to my website, ashleyvanhouten.com. I put recipes up there. I'm doing blog posts. All of my information, everything that I do is at that website, and you can send me an email from there as well. All right, guys, have a wonderful week and I'll see you here next Tuesday.